this morning for the reading of God's Word. Just one verse today as we'll get started here. And we're in, of course, Job chapter 31 with this verse. And this morning's message is a little bit more topical. And uh, you'll understand that sometimes, uh, many times, I preach what would be considered expository messages from a passage and just take the, the, the passage verse by verse, word by word. This morning, of course, the series we've been going through, what is going on? And uh, that's a good question. What is going on? What we're going to look at this morning is nothing new. It's been going on for quite some time. And notice what Job has to say in Job 31, verse number 15. Did not he that made me in the womb make me? And did not one fashion us in the womb? Look at the verse again. Did not he that made me in the womb make me? And did not one fashion us in the womb? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Pray that you would bless your word. Lord, help us. Help us as a people. Lord, help us as a nation to get back to you, get back to the word of God, to get back to the truth. God, we need to turn our eyes back to you. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. You can have a seat this morning. You think about this verse that Job writes. I'll tell you this morning as you think about the topic, how does God see the unborn? I'm not here today to talk politics. Matter of fact, I'm here to talk about the sanctity of human life. Uh, when you look at this verse, Job said, Did not he that made me in the womb make me? In 1857, the U.S. Supreme Court made a decision that today looks ridiculous. Seven out of nine justices in 1857 decided back then that a black slave by the name of Dred Scott was nothing more than the property of his owner. We're talking about a person's life. But the Supreme Court decided many years ago that this man was nothing more than the property of his owner, stating, the Supreme Court stated, that he had no rights as a citizen. He had no protection under the law. Justice Taney said at that time, Black people, whether slave or free, were not included and were not intended to be included in the category of citizen as the wording was used in the Constitution of our, of our nation. Amazing. 1857. That they were not included, not intended to be included in the category of citizens. Today... Of course, now, many years after a civil war, after a time of civil rights, after thousands of inappropriate events and occurrences in our land, this atrocity from back in 1857 has been corrected. All men, no matter what the color of their skin, are viewed as equal by the Constitution of the United States. 47 years ago, 
on January 22nd, 1973. There's a picture, an actual picture. The Supreme Court made another blundering decision. By the count of seven to two in the decision known as Roe versus Wade. In this decision, the court of our land, the highest court of our land, struck down the abortion laws deciding that a woman's right to privacy gives her the right to abort her unborn child. It was in the court's opinion that they determined that the unborn child was not a person as defined by the Constitution and was therefore not entitled to or guaranteed to the right of life. Sounded to me like a reoccurrence of the Dred Scott decision. Instead, the court decided, even though the Bible says, thou shalt not kill, the court decided that the baby was nothing more than the property of the mother to choose, along with her doctor, whether the child lives or the child dies. An irony that also happened in 1972 was that the Supreme Court amended the Bald Eagle Act called the Eagle Protection Act of 1940 now, where the Supreme Court amended this act authorizing people to be fined up to $100,000 individually or $200,000 as an organization. In addition to the fine, there would be jail time at least one year for destroying the unborn eagle in its egg. So eagles are protected, but human beings are not. What in the world is going on? An irony today, in all, all 50 states, if a woman becomes pregnant and she is murdered while she is pregnant, the suspect will be charged with two counts of murder. They recognize the child in instances like that. Since legalizing abortion in America in 1973, over 61 million babies have been murdered, killed by the United States. There is blood on our hands. That's over 2,300 babies per day. Over 100 babies murdered per hour and that's one abortion every 96 seconds, according to Guttmeyer Institute. The Guttmeyer reports that of the abortions, 1% of abortions were abortions by victims of rape or incest. 1% of abortions are due to fetal defects. 4% of those abortions are because of the mother's life being endangered. 66% of the abortions were because of financial instability, and 76% of the abortions that are performed are because they believe that that child was interfering with their life. Times of war? Times of war don't even compare to the totals of abortions. Counting all of American wars from 1775 to this present day that we live in, America has lost 1.1 million 
Americans, compared to 61 million babies that have been aborted. Even in Hitler's Holocaust, it claims 6 million lives, but abortion is a modern-day Holocaust. So this morning from the Scriptures, I want you and I to look at what I consider to be biblical reasons why abortion is wrong. Now, you may or may not agree, but one thing I think we can agree on this morning is the Word of God. And so as we look this morning, notice first of all how God sees that each unborn child, He sees them as a person. The Bible says that every unborn child is created in God's image. We see this back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. When you look at the Bible, how God created, you clearly see that we were created in the likeness of Almighty God. When you look at God, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When God created man, God created us with a body. That's what you're looking at today. He created us with a soul and he created us with a spirit. Man is a trichotomy. There are three parts to us, just like you see from the scriptures in 1 Thessalonians 5 in verse 23. Look at this. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see that we were created in his likeness, that we were intentionally created by God to have a relationship with God. Look at the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 12, God says, I will walk among you and I will be your God and ye shall be my people. It amazes me every time I go back to the Genesis account and I read how God created the man and then he created the woman and that God desired to go down into the garden and spend time with man. Do you know God wants to spend time with you? That we were created to have a relationship? That if you're here this morning and you do not know Christ as your Savior, God desires that, that all would come unto repentance. God's desire is that he is willing that none would perish, but that all would come under repentance, that all men would be saved. God wants everyone to have a personal relationship with him. That is God's intention for us. We see that God, when he looks at the unborn child, what does God see? Listen, I'm not asking you this morning what your party sees or what your candidate sees. I'm asking you this morning, based on the word of God, do you see what God sees when you look at an unborn child? Because 
They were created in God's image. But notice every unborn child, secondly, is fearfully and wonderfully made. We heard the missionary this morning say that this is marvelous. I'm always amazed. My daughter's supposed to have a C-section tomorrow with our ninth grandbaby. That's why my beautiful wife is not sitting behind that piano today. She's getting in her Mimi time. But boy, when babies are born, it does not matter how ugly that child is. That mother, oh, it's the most beautiful baby I ever saw. Look at that face. And you're like, do I have to? (laughs) But think about life. Think about the breath that you're breathing right now. Think about how your body, listen, a lot of times, and I get it, we're all getting older. Our body uh, is starting to, look, we're not, we're not getting better. We're, we started to die the day we were born, you know? I mean, it's, it's amazing when you think about your body, and oftentimes we want to complain about, but listen, it, it's hard to keep my car on the road, but you think about life. Life is much more complex than an automobile. There's no computer that man could put in an automobile that would compare to that heart that's in your body that pumps blood through your body. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. But do you know that God sees the unborn child as fearfully and wonderfully made? It's not after the child is born. Notice what the Bible says here in Psalm 139, what a great passage. In verse 13, the Bible says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance. Do you understand what that's saying? God sees everything. And we live in a day, my daughter's had two or three ultrasounds. People people go in to meet the doctor to have an ultrasound, and and a lot of times when they're in there, they find out certain things about the baby, if everything's good, how how big the baby is sometimes, if they want to know maybe what the sex of that baby would be. By the way, whatever it is, that's God's intended purpose for that child. My daughter's having a daughter. No man, no doctor can change that. No surgery can change that. Blakely Quinn, that's what her name's going to be. Can't wait to meet her. My daughter said yesterday, I can't wait for you to meet her either because I'm tired of her being in here. <laughs> but do you see where the Bible says there in that psalm, talking about the eyes of God, while the child is unborn, thine eyes did see my substance yet being imperfect, and in thy book, in thy book all my members were written. This is before birth, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. Can I just say this morning, God doesn't make junk. 
You know what you are? You're one of God's masterpieces. We are fearfully and wonderfully made according to the word of God. So notice how God sees the unborn child as a person that is created in God's image, fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Look, no life comes into being without the touch of God on that life. And every time in the Bible, in the Genesis account of creation, every time God created something, you heard God follow that creation by saying this, and it was good. And it was good. Life is good. God sees us as fearfully and wonderfully made, even as an unborn child. He also sees the unborn child as a person that has been formed in the womb. Jeremiah writes, before I was formed in the belly, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. Hey, listen, God formed us, and he did that with care, like a sculptor would do maybe with a piece of clay, that as he begins to mold that with his hands, that's exactly what God did with your life and mine. I love how the Bible says there through Jeremiah, he says, before I formed thee in the belly, notice, I knew thee. That word knew, K-N-E-W, that's a great word because you know what, it, it indicates an intimate relationship. God says, I already knew you. See, I'm going to meet Blakely in a couple days. But God already knows Blakely. According to the word of God, God knew. God has an intimate, real knowledge, person to person with someone. All life, listen to me, as you read and study the word of God, all life begins at conception and it is precious to God. I think about how when Mary spoke to Elizabeth in the New Testament of the Bible, how the Bible says that Elizabeth's baby leapt in her womb upon hearing the voice of Mary. Hey, listen, God sees the unborn child as a person. Notice he also sees the unborn child as his possession. If you go back to Psalm 139, the Bible says in verse number 13, for thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. A couple words there that really just jumped off the pages of the scriptures to me this week was the word possessed. It actually means to create. The psalmist says, thou hast possessed my, 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 my reins. He says here, uh, the word reins, kind of a neat word in the Hebrew language. It's actually making a reference to the kidneys, which actually are viewed as the seat of all human emotion and longing and God, of course, is the author of life. God is the giver of life. God doesn't just know every part of us. God possesses it. He's the one that created us. We are his divine creation. And we, you and I, we only have life because God breathed life into us. The Bible says in the book of Genesis, and man became a living soul. Look at what the Bible says in Job 33, the spirit of God hath made me in the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. See, God sees the unborn as a person. God sees the unborn as his possession. But then notice another way God sees the unborn is as purposeful, that their life 
has purpose. Can I say this morning as I get into this last point that every life has purpose. You know why? Because you were created by God. I know you have a father and a mother. But without God, you would not have life. And as we look at this last point, go back to Psalm 139 and verse 16. And I love this verse where the Bible again says, Thine eyes did see my substance. Notice, yet being unperfect. The word unperfect there means unformed. You hear about a woman that is deliver, getting ready to deliver a child as she goes through the first trimester, the second and the third. I remember when our oldest was, Joy was carrying our firstborn and, and she got into that second trimester and something happened in that time frame there where some of our daughter's intestines did not form the way that they normally would form and when she was born, little known to the doctors, especially to us, 13 inches of her intestine came out of her stomach wall. It wasn't attached to anything. It's amazing the lesson that God taught me at the birth of our first child. How even through that, the Bible says that our, our members, our substance being yet unperfect. And notice, and in thy book, the book of God, all my members were written, which in continuous were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Folks, the days of our lives... The days of your life have been mapped out in advance by God. God's the one that gives life. God's the one that has a plan and a purpose for your life, beginning with your embryonic members and each stage of that early development process. I mean, look, God had a plan for Jeremiah. We can clearly see his plan for his life. The Bible says that he was appointed to be a prophet to the nation before he was even born, while he was still in his mother's womb, God had a purpose for Jeremiah's life. I had the privilege Friday night to drive down to Marathon, down in the Keys. I had a pastor who asked me, he said, uh, Pastor Keeley, he said, I have a man that is being sent out of our church in Marathon to go to Key West and start a church. Now, how many of you know Key West is not an easy place? But see, long before Maximo Yama knew that God was going to save him after 25 years of alcohol and substance abuse, of being in prison, being estranged to his wife who was saved from his four children, that it got so bad for Maximo Yama that he actually in pain with no hope cut off this finger right here at the knuckle. His life was a waste. But God had a purpose. 
God eventually directed him providentially to go to Corpus Christi, Texas. To the Lester Roloff home. Lester Roloff's been with the Lord for many, many years. But the ministry that Lester Roloff began is still going on to this very day. When Max went there, the Word of God began to pierce his heart. And he realized that he was not saved. And in 2015, he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Those desires that he had, God took them away. He's been growing. He's been in church. Do you know where Max and his wife grew up? Key West. The life that Max lived is very much the life that people live who live in Key West. God had a purpose. For many hours on Friday night, I, I was one of seven pastors that questioned Max Yama of his doctrine, of his faith, of some of the struggles that he's been through. And it was concluded by that ordination council that God had a purpose in Max Yama's life. And that God was sending Max back to Key West, but this time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of you think it'd be wonderful to see some Christians in Key West? To see a gospel life in Key West? See, God has a purpose for all life, but yet some children will never get the chance because people play God. They choose to abort. They choose to do things their way. Can I say this morning, what we need to do is what God has chosen, and that is to choose life. Why do we choose life? So that some may live. I really believe that the moral standard of our country revolves around how we feel about the unborn. Do we care about what God cares about? God chose life. And God said that it was good and we should choose the same. Listen, this morning, this is not a political message, not a political issue. It's a vote for what is right. God is pro-life. Why? Because God is the giver of life. And what gives man the right to choose to destroy innocent life? In 1969, a woman by the name of Norma McCorvey found herself pregnant and on the streets. She was only 21 years old, divorced. She was homeless. She was pregnant for the third time. She sought an abortion, but she could not get one in Texas because of the strong pro-life laws in Texas at that time. She found help, and two young, ambitious lawyers that were fresh out of law school who were eager to challenge the Texas statutes on abortion. When McCorvey met with her lawyers, 
she didn't even know what the meaning of the word abortion was. Her lawyers, this is what they told her, that abortion just deals with a piece of tissue. They convinced Norma to tell the courts that she had been raped. In 1979, the case that we know as Roe versus Wade, by the way, the Roe is, she became known as Jane Roe. But the case was heard by the United States Supreme Court. And in January 1973, the Supreme Court reversed not just the laws banning abortion in Texas, but in all 50 states. Before the case even went to the Supreme Court, before it even got to the Supreme Court, Norma had already had her baby. She'd already given birth and given it up for adoption. In 1989, Norma came out of seclusion. She announced to the world that she was the Roe in Roe versus Wade. The pro-abortion movement recruited her for their cause. They made a TV movie about her life, put it on parade. She even went to work in a, an abortion clinic in the Dallas, Texas area where her life would forever change. She was part of killing babies for money. And in her heart, she knew this. But one day, Operation Rescue moved in next door to the abortion clinic. Norma said that she would watch the women handing out pro-life literature. Norma said that the pro-life people were always smiling. And that made her curious. She began talking with the pro-life Christians, and they began to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with her. Norma remembered a young mother that she saw that had two little girls. Emily was the oldest. She was seven. Chelsea was her younger daughter. She was three. Their mother's name, Rhonda. Rhonda became pregnant soon after getting married, and Rhonda's own relatives tried to convince her to have an abortion because, in their words, they said, that's no way to start a marriage with a problem. Rhonda had seen the results of what abortions do to the body and to some of her friends that had had one, and she just refused to give up her first baby. She kept the child. One day, Norma was looking out the window of the abortion clinic, and she saw seven-year-old Emily with literature in her hand. Emily was walking up to these pregnant women that were coming into the clinic. She would hand them a piece of literature and she would say this to them. I would like for you to have this information and please don't go in there and kill your baby. Norma began talking with Pastor Flip Benham. Flip Benham, who was the director of Operation Rescue. Through many conversations, Norma trusted Christ as her Savior in 1996. All of that was the result of the testimony of the pro-life people next door to the abortion clinic and by a little seven-year-old girl by the name of Emily. The question that I want to ask you this morning is, what if Rhonda had aborted Emily? 
And she would have agreed with her relatives. You don't need this child. It's a problem. Would Norma's heart still in some way have been touched the way it was? Would Norma have ever come to know Christ as her Savior? You see, God has a purpose. God has a plan for every person, every life. Now, Norma is a Christian. Norma began working with the Operation Outcry. She began to try to reverse the Roe versus Wade decision that she had been a part of. She became a pro-life activist and vowed to spend the rest of her life trying to undo the law that she helped to create. And she did this. She gave the rest of her life until she went home to be with the Lord on February the 18th, 2017, at the age of 69. You know what's amazing about the whole Roe versus Wade decision by the Supreme Court that ruled 7 to 2? Just like the ruling that they made in 1857 about Dred Scott? That the entire abortion case that destroyed every state law protecting the unborn, it was all based on a lie. She lied about what had happened to her. And what does the Bible say? Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Two ambitious lawyers saw a way to get up in the world of law, to make a name for themselves. But the truth this morning is, for Norma, for any mother that maybe has ever gone to have an abortion or has ever thought about having one, to anyone that would not see an unborn child the way God sees those unborn children, the truth this morning is that God loves everyone. God loves everyone. You know why? Because God is the one that's made us. And the Bible says that God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I, I think about what Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. And he says that ye also love one another. Can I just listen? If you're a Christian this morning, can I just encourage you that when the time comes for you to vote, based on the word of God, that you would choose life. Because God did. God's the creator of it. Would you bow your heads with me this morning with our heads bowed? If you're here this morning, and maybe in the past that you've been caught up in something like this, listen, God loves you and we love you. I'm not here to judge anyone. But I am here to tell you how important we understand the sanctity of human life. How does God view the unborn child? God views them as a person. God views them 
as having a purpose. And this morning, your life matters. And the life of the unborn matters. Because God views them as a human being, as a person. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the invitation this morning. I thank you for how we've heard examples of how you worked in Max Yamo's life. God, you brought him out of life of sin and the drugs, the alcohol, all the things that he was doing to abuse his body. Today, he's getting ready to head to Key West with the gospel of Jesus Christ. A changed life. Norma, young, really not understanding even what abortion was, made some choices, some bad choices. But God, I don't think it's any accident that you had that that group of individuals set up shop right next to that abortion clinic where she saw the truth. She heard the truth. And it was the truth that made her free. We thank God that she's with you today. There are so many today that are bent on destroying life when the Bible says that you are the giver of life and that we should not take what you have given to us. God, I pray as Christians that we would understand the sanctity of the human life. Bless the invitation this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.